The Historian's Podcast comes to you thanks to listeners like you who click the GoFundMe link on our website, bobcudmore.com. Hi, this is Chris Lamb. I'm the author of Stolen Dreams, the Cannon Street YMCA All-Stars and Little League Baseball Civil War. Uh, This book is about 11- and 12-year-old black kids who live in Jim Crow, Charleston, uh, South Carolina, in 1955. Uh, they're playing in on an all-star team in the first black little league in South Carolina. And their coaches tell them they're going to keep playing as long as they keep winning. Now, this is a thrill for these kids because many of them, if they live in poverty, they uh, most of them have outdoor toilets. They have to deal with all the humiliations of Jim Crow South. And here they have a chance to play the white kids in baseball. As long as they keep winning, they can go all the way to every every kid dreams of playing in a Little League Baseball World Series in Williamsport. Unfortunately, this doesn't happen. Their dreams are stolen, and their souls are, are forever scarred. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest is Chris Lamb. He's chairman of the Journalism and Public Relations Department at Indiana University in Indianapolis. He's the author of 12 books, including several on sports, race, and the media. And the book we're discussing is called Stolen Dreams, the 1955 Cannon Street YMCA All-Stars and Little League Baseball's Civil War. Uh, You started to tell us about the 1955 Cannon Street YMCA uh, All-Stars in South Carolina. Why don't we just back up a little bit? Uh, What is the Cannon Street YMCA? Cannon Street YMCA is the center of the black community. It's It's in the Charleston Peninsula, which is the downtown area surrounded by the uh, the ocean and 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 two rivers, and this is this area where where uh, this is during segregation. So all the black stores are there, all the black doctors, uh, and the only black high school. Everything's within walking distance, and so they grow up, and the Cannon Street, you know, becomes this uh, the center of all the kids' lives, and it's also the center of the adults' lives, and it's where. It's where the men and the women go to talk about equal rights and to plan uh, their uh, their protests and to plan their fights against racial discrimination. Part of this, part of the Cannon Street, the history of the Cannon Street All-Stars was Robert Morrison, who is the president of the Cannon Street uh, YMCA, says, you know, if I can get Little League Baseball integrated in Charleston, then I can integrate the schools. I can integrate the swimming pools. I can inter- I can integrate the theaters. So this is part of of Bob Morrison's uh, master plan, and it also the and the and the white supremacists, the white the white politicians, they see through it, and they know that if Bob Morrison can uh, uh, integrate the. Uh, Little League Baseball, he can integrate the schools, the swimming pools, and everything else, and then all all hell will break loose. Hmm. Is this story uh, that that you tell, um, I guess what I'm trying to stumble to find out, are you from there originally, or how did you know about this story? I used to teach at the College of Charleston in, 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 in downtown Charleston, and I was there for about 15 years. And uh, so I didn't know anything about it until 
a friend of mine at church said, hey, do you know this story? Because he knew I had written a lot about race and sports and, and the media. And I said, no. And he said, well, I, I, I got to have you meet a guy. And he introduced me to Gus Holt. And Gus Holt was a couple of years young. He was not on this team, but, but he ended up bringing the story back to life 40 years after it was forgotten. And, and Gus Holt's story, and so I got to talking to Gus, and then I left and moved to Indianapolis. So over the last eight or nine years, I've been working on this story during periodic visits to Charleston and by talking to the players and by talking to Gus Holt. And tell us more about the, uh, the story. The uh, team, uh, the Cannon Street YMCA All-Stars, all African-American kids at this uh, African-American-founded uh, YMCA, and they're playing uh, baseball at the, the Little League level, and they're supposed to keep winning, which I guess they, they do to some extent. But, but what happened to them to prevent them from going to the Little League World Series? Yeah, that's a great question, Bob. When the team registers for the Little League tournament in Charleston, the seasons are over. They choose every league chooses an all-star team, and Kansas Street chose their players. And and, and when the and when Bob Morrison registers the team for a Little League tournament in Charleston in in July 1955, it put the team and the forces of integration on a collision course with segregation, bigotry, and the Southern way of life. Uh, this is in the aftermath of Brown versus Board of Education. And the white teams refused to take the field with the Cannon Street All-Stars. The Cannon Street team wins that tournament by forfeit and goes to the state tournament. And then things really get ugly. Uh, All the teams in the state tournament, all the white teams pull out, and they create their – and they have this civil war with uh, Little League Baseball. Uh, They secede from Little League Baseball. They start their own segregated youth baseball league called Dixie League Baseball, which is still being played. So what happened was the Cannon Street All-Stars win the state tournament by forfeit because all the white teams withdrew, and they go to the regional tournament in Rome, Georgia. If they win the Rome tournament, they go to Williamsport. And then they're told that, hey, a Little League rules say, a Little League rules say, first of all, that there's no racial discrimination in Little League baseball. <laughs> and secondly, it says you have to advance by winning on the field. You can't advance on forfeit. So you're ineligible. So the kids find out because they advance because of the racism of, of white supremacists. that They get to the uh, Rome, Georgia, and, and now they're told, hey, you, uh, you're ineligible. You can't play in this tournament. Your season's done. Had they played some games against white kids? No. No, they hadn't. They had never played. They had played during the season, but they, it, it had been a league of it had been a league of just you know black kids. It was it was it was segregated. So what happens is, is that this story becomes a really big uh, national story, which is really rare for a story about race to get national publicity in those days. In the 1950s, white newspapers pretended like racism didn't exist. They pretended like Jim Crowism didn't exist. And, and they rarely wrote about anything having to do with, uh, with blacks and integration. But, but this story, because it dealt with kids, it dealt, it dealt with 11- and 12-year-old kids, and even somebody who sort of understood Jim Crow laws or somebody who ignored Jim Crow laws, they just could not stomach the fact that these 11- and 12-year-old kids were denied their chance of playing the All-American 
game of baseball, and they and the head of the Little League Baseball um, uh, says, "Hey, you, uh, you know, uh, why don't you all come up and you can watch the finals of the Little League Championship game, and you'll be our guests." Which his intentions were good, but there's kind of a cruelty to this. You you say, you know, hey, why don't you come up here and you can watch mm. white kids live out your dreams? You say the uh, dispute here about the um, Little League baseball team in Charleston, South Carolina, is linked to uh, Brown versus Board of Education. How is that? Well, in, in May of 1954, the, U, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruled unanimously that school segregation was unconstitutional. Now, this was what basically is seen as the beginning of the civil rights movement, at the beginning of the idea that now we can use the law to end segregation. And what this did is, it, while, while liberals and northerners, and most northerners, celebrated this decision, and certainly all blacks did, in the South, there was a separate and just as excitable reaction on the other side. What, what happened is that where they they probably didn't mind, you know, all black kids and white kids played together. Like when we were kids, it was, if there was a ball game, we would go play. We didn't care who was anybody. It was a meritocracy, and the, and, and the best players win, and that's kind of what happened. And then a year later, uh, the Supreme Court came back to Brown in May of 1955 and said, hey, I, I, you know, we're serious here. But it tells, but, but it also says you must proceed with integration in some way. And that's kind of when the Southerners really became angry and wanted to stop this. Why did the All-Star Little League players agree to go to the championships game when they knew they wouldn't be able to play? They, uh, that's the odd thing. Why they go? And I, that was one of the things I kept. Why would you go? Why would you go when you're so insulted like that? And but it was Bob Morrison, the, the racial activist who was the president of the Cannon Street YMCA, whose idea was, you know, uh, uh, we're getting a lot of publicity on this story. People are paying attention to racism, and they're paying attention to Jim Crowism, and they're paying attention to all these things. Let's uh, let's keep this story going as long as we can. And so he agreed and. And almost all the kids except for one get in a bus. And it's the first time they've ever been outside Charleston. It's the first time they've worn pajamas. And they drive up uh, 24 hours to get to Williamsport. And they're treated really well, except that they can't play. And then they're introduced right before the championship game. And because the story is so well, uh, well known, hundreds of fans begin yelling, let them play, let them play. And they're stopping their feet on the on the bleachers and, and, and the bleachers rattle and, and, and the kids hear this and, and then it's all over and they go back and they sit in the bleachers and they watch the white kids doing what they think they should be doing. And that cry of let them play, let them play. John Rivers, who was, who was a shortstop on the team and I've talked to him so many times and John tells me, I still hear that cheering. I still hear those white adults cheering for us. Every, you know, I can still hear that 67 years later. Who won the Little League championship that year? It was a team from Pennsylvania and a team from New Jersey, and they were real close. I think it was the Morris. I want to say it, it was, no, it was the Pennsylvania team that won, Delaware Township, Pennsylvania, and they won on a walk-off home run. It was an exciting game, and then, 
people are, and then they get on a bus, Cannon Street boys get on a bus, and they're absolutely deflated. It was worse going to Williamsport than it would have been not going to Williamsport, and they're just sullen all the way back. And 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 while they're on their trip back to Charleston is when Emmett Till is is lynched and murdered in Money, Mississippi. And they get back home, and they're so they're so deflated by this that they don't talk about it. They they just don't. They just try to put it aside, like it's this like this this horrible thing happened in your life, and you want to just and you want to just you know bury it. Now the white teams that did play, I don't want to you know just get focused on that. But were some of them integrated? Yes, that's a. Yeah, that's a great question. The uh, New Jersey team had three black players, and that in some way hurt the Kansas Street. The Kansas Street players saw that there were black kids out there because in the North and in much of the country, a Little League Baseball was integrated. And, yeah, ab- you're absolutely right. In fact, a guy named Ron Hunter was on that team, and he ended up being a football star at Syracuse, and, and he was the player's representative of the union for the NBA for many years. But, yeah, so they look out, and, and, and they see these, you know, these three black kids on the New Jersey team. As they're driving back, uh, being driven back, the news is breaking about the murder of uh, Emmett Till. Is it, was that true, or does that happen simultaneously? Story. Yeah, no, no. Well, it happened simultaneously, but but nobody knew about it for several days. Um, it wasn't until a few days later he was missing, and it wasn't a few days later till they found his body, and and it was a longer time after that before the story, you know, got. It, it wasn't until they found his body, and and they had an and, and his mother insisted on an open casket for uh, Emmett Till that the story really became big in the in the black press, and in and then the trial of the of the two men who, who killed him. But, but what happened, what John Rivers tells me is in the weeks and, and months, maybe years to come that, uh, that he was told by his mother because Emmett Till had supposedly whistled at a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, that he had, and, and the story was John Rivers said his mother, you know, said, if you see a white woman coming on the sidewalk with you, you are to either cross the street or you're to turn down another street. You, 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 I don't want you. I don't. I, I don't want you within a, you know, ten feet of any white woman. And so he mm. grew up with this. But the controversy over the death of Emmett Till, and other uh, racial incidents, kind of eclipsed what happened to the Cannon Street All Stars. Absolutely right, Bob. Is that is that people's lives is this horrible tragedy, and people move on with their lives. Emmett Till comes a few months after that is Rosa Parks, and then the story, this this short-lived story of the Cannon Street All Stars, just kind of fades away. As 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 one of the players says, he says, "This is a great story. This is an important story, but we're forgotten because nobody died." You said you've talked a lot to John Rivers, right? Was that the gentleman? Yes. Let me ask you about some of the players, and starting with him, what what happened to to him? What did happened in his life well john became sometimes when horrible things happen when we face great grievances and and we're we're treated unjustly we use that for motivation and and sometimes we just kind of accept it and and kind of you know and and then kind of disappear john was one of these guys who felt motivated by what happened to him in 1955 he went he left charleston as soon as he could when he was 18 
he went to Virginia to go to college. Uh, he became an architect. He became a very successful architect. Uh, he had offices in, in New York and Atlanta, and he did very and he did very very well. And now he's living in Ecuador and he paints. And and he's he's had a, a rather extraordinary life. Other of the players, uh, the one the only player who did not go to Williamsport because his father said, "What's the point?" And he mm-hmm. did not go. Uh, he was the only one who had who played sports in college, and he had a remarkable career at Delaware State as a baseball player. And it, uh, uh, Buck Godfrey's his name, and he became uh, one of the winningest high school football coaches in Georgia. But but the other players, you know, you 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 grow up with that. When every day you're walking into a 40 mile an hour headwind when you're dealing with this kind of racism and and it breaks them down. A few of the players they all did they all did reasonably well. They raised families. One, you know, one guy went to prison, but the, but but the rest of them uh, had had good jobs their their whole lives. They they were popular in their community and 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 their story, as I said, was forgotten. And they hardly talked about it for 30 years until Gus Holt brought it back. You know, for the, you know, for decades these guys didn't want to talk about the story, and now for the last 25 years, they they want to tell everybody why their story why their story matters. You know, but 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 but, but these guys these they grew up and they became teachers and and they were in the service and and they were. Uh, uh, it was another architect in the group, so they did pretty well for themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, what happened even the next year, 1956? Was there another addition to the Cannon Street All-Stars? Uh, it was because because of what happened in 1955, all the white teams pretty much pulled out of the, of uh, all the white teams in the South you know, pulled out of, of Little League Baseball because Little League Baseball had told them they would – they would they would have to play a black team even though little league baseball's rules prohibited racial discrimination and the next year it kind that they still had the league but it it, it wasn't the same and, and and then by 1957 it was done and there was really there were no leagues for you know black kids in in Charleston after that for a while hmm. well tell us what happened you know years later was it in 2002 that they went back or something? Yeah, in 2002, they returned to um, uh, Williamsport as a team, and and they had a reunion. But what happened in 1995 is that Gus Holt, who I mentioned before, is is he's managing his son's key. By this time, uh, Dixie Youth Baseball had become integrated, and he's managing a team in Dixie Youth Baseball. And... And he's uh, and, and his kid's playing, and his kid makes the all-star team. And, and you know, Gus is a baseball nut, so he is so proud. He couldn't be any more proud until his son walks into the living room and he's got his his Dixie Youth Baseball All-Star uniform on, and it has a Confederate flag. Mm-hmm. And Gus is a race man, and he just about blows. It's like those cartoons where the head blows off. And he wants to know how the, how this Confederate flag got on his son's uniform. So he starts investigating, and he finds that that Dixie Youth Baseball was founded on the tears and heartache of of a black boys of black kids. And and so he starts to he he's this incredibly intrepid, dogged researcher, and he just keeps finding and, and digging. He starts and then he starts finding some of the old all stars. 
and they tell him about the game. And here they're in their 50s, and they're crying when they're telling him what happened to them when they were 12. He wants to bring uh, Little League Baseball back to Charleston, where it had where it had been gone since 1955. And so then he's got this. Then he wants he, he has a reunion for the players. He, he gets a lot of publicity. Sports Illustrated does a story, and then Gus's a son Lawrence as a brain tumor, and he doesn't recover from it, and, and he and he dies after his senior year of high school. So, you know, so you know, so Gus finally in 2002 is able to get the players, and they go back to Williamsport. They go back to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and they're greeted by a standing ovation, and they receive their South Carolina banner, which they had won in 1955, but it was never given to them, and and they're redeemed, and and that's the best part of the story. As as as, as Vermont Brown, who was a pitcher on the team, a very religious guy, says, you know, in 1955, you know, for whatever reason, God, you know, wasn't this wasn't our time. But in 2002, this was our time, and we went back, and we got what we deserved, and we wept, and we laughed, and and all, and all, we were redeemed. Point of information, you've you said it, and it's just I've forgotten. Gus is who? Gus was a, one of the all-stars? or Yeah, Gus Holt. I'm, I'm sorry. Gus Holt was the guy whose who, uh, who son, he uh, who brought back uh, the Cannon Street All-Stars after – after saying uh, his son had the Confederate flag on his baseball uniform, and Gus, and so he starts, and, and then he finds the Cannon Street All Stars. He he finds the story of the Cannon Street All Stars okay. in his research that had been that, that had been that had been buried for forty years. Now Gus was actually just a couple of years younger than the guys, but he didn't know because he was in he was in the service. His dad was in the service, and and they and, and, he, and he spent a couple of years in Charleston, and then he moved to Pearl Harbor. And because his father got transferred, and he was in Pearl Harbor playing on an on an integrated little league team in 1955 when he was maybe oh nine or ten years old. Then he moved back, and there was nothing about this story. This story was done. This story was buried until uh, until Gus brought it back to life. And he would call up the players, and they would say, "Yeah, I was on that team, but kind of who wants to know?" And 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 they didn't really. I mean, Gus really had to had to had to drag them out of the past and say your story needs to be told. The story happened in Charleston, South Carolina, which is a city I'm not tremendously familiar with, but I've gone there on a vacation. Seems like a charming place. It's one of the most beautiful cities in America, and if you want to know the history of racism in America. It's where you find it, because this is where the slave trade, half of all African-Americans uh, can trace their roots to Charleston and the slave trade. Uh, the beginning of, and, 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 and that's where there were, uh, the wealthiest people in America lived in Charleston, because that's where the plantations were, and, and that's where, and, and that's where the, that's where the rice crop was, and, and, and that's where, that's where the Civil War began. The first, mm, you know, the true. first, uh, the first shots of the Civil War, and and so th- there were just a number of things, and th- and then of course, uh, just uh, six or seven years ago, it's it, at this wonderful church, the uh, Mother Manual AME Church, is where a white supremacist named Dylan Roof uh, shot and killed, you know, nine black parishioners while they were in a worship service. So mm. Charleston's in the middle of a of a lot of this. 
story. Yeah, as you, you mentioned, but Fort Sumter, which was a Union fort, was in the harbor at Charleston, right? Yep, yep, and that's how it, they, uh, they, they was right at, you know, as soon as Lincoln was elected president, the South started moving away, and, and, and South Carolina was the first of the Confederate states to secede, and they seceded in downtown Charleston, and in December of 1860, and 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 it and the conflict grew and intensified and intensified until they ordered the the, the Union troops. It was a sea fort, Fort Sumter, and they said you're going to have to surrender, and they said uh, no, and. And so the so the Confederates started bombing the uh, Fort Sumter, and that was the beginning of the of the Civil War. A common theme today, though, is that slavery was really everywhere in America, in the North up here where I live. And um, well, I don't know about where you live in Indiana, right? I'm from Ohio, but I live in Indiana. Oh, you're from Ohio, yeah. which was, of course, a big um, Union state as well during the Civil War. But, you know, a, a common thing now is that bigotry obviously was everywhere, but um, is, is Charleston worse or something like that? Charleston at one point was probably better than much of the South because it had such a large black population. It was worse in cities where the whites outnumbered the blacks by five, six, seven, ten to one. Uh, you know, black supremacists, or excuse me, white supremacists tend to be bullies, and they tend to be cowards, and they're only going to attack people when the odds are heavily on the, uh, in their side. So because there were so many blacks living in Charleston, there was a kind of a power in numbers. There was a comfort in numbers. In some ways, Charleston got the, the, the you know, the slaves were treated horribly, and, and we're trying very hard. People are trying very hard to uh, revise history, and and they started doing this the the uh, after the Civil War. They started to revise the story, and 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 nowadays you still being it's taught in the South that this was a war over states' rights, and that's just garbage. No historian goes along with that because and if you go back and you look at the newspapers of, of leading up to the Civil War, they're not saying states' rights; they're right. saying slavery. And the, and Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, is saying slavery. Alexander Stevens, the vice president of the Confederacy, is 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 saying slavery. And the Charleston newspapers are are saying this is a war about about slavery. So, you know, we can do all we want to do, and you can use all the card tricks and magic tricks you want, but it doesn't change the facts. There's still little league baseball in Charleston now, right? But you're saying it's integrated. I'm not sure there. Well, there's youth baseball. They they have Dixie youth baseball. I don't think because there are different youth organizations. Little League baseball is far and away the biggest, and then Dixie youth baseball is in the 11 Confederate states. It's one of the biggest. It's a very successful youth baseball organization, but but it's only in the 11 states of the former Confederacy. So in Charleston, Gus Holt brought back Little League baseball for a few years, but with all the stuff happening in his life, he just, he was, he just, he couldn't hold on to it. And so I don't think there's little league baseball in, in, in Charleston anymore. I, I don't, I just don't know for a fact though, but it's, it's, they pretty much play Dixie youth baseball and it mm. is integrated. Yes. And the Cannon street YMCA still exists. No, uh, sadly, 
uh, and it existed for a long time, and it had really been one of the most, it was the sort of the soul of the black community. But w- what happened was they they moved it out to Somerville, which is probably 20 mm-hmm. miles away, and they have a huge facility out there. But what was the Cannon Street uh, YMCA for many, many, many decades is, 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 it, it is now a shuttered building, which is really sad. We've been uh, uh, talking with Chris Lamb, who is a uh, head of the uh, journalism and public relations, I believe. It is at Indiana University? At Indianapolis, yes. At Indianapolis. He's the author of the book Stolen Dreams, the 1955 Cannon Street YMCA All-Stars, and Little League Baseball's Civil War. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast. The Historian's Podcast comes to you thanks to listeners like you who click the GoFundMe link on our website, bobcudmore.com. 